0: Welcome back to The Daily Drum on WHUR, Sirius XM, Channel 141, 96.3 HD2 and 98.3 FM. This is the Insight Segment. I'm Harold Fisher. At 80 years old, President Biden is the oldest president in history. California State Democrat Dianne Feinstein is 90. Republican Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is 81. Vermont Independent Senator Bernie Sanders is also 81 years old. And there are 12 members of Congress over the age of 80, including D.C. Delegate Eleanor Holmes Norton. She's 85. Well, there's been a lot of discussion about aging federal lawmakers, including very public incidents for Senators McConnell and Feinstein, questioning whether they should step down. Or should there be an age limit for federal office holders tonight? We're talking about it. My guests are Jennifer Carroll, the Republican former lieutenant governor of Florida, and Gary Officer, president and CEO of the Center for Workforce Inclusion, a nonprofit supporting older workers. Lines are open. Give us a call at 202-319-7810, 202-319-7810. You can tweet me at H. Fisher, whur or find me on Instagram at harold t. Fisher, Miss Carroll, thank you so much for joining the conversation.
1: Mr. Fisher, thanks for having me this evening.
0: Absolutely, Gary, good to see you. Thanks for coming in.
2: Welcome, my friend.
0: You're welcome. So let me first ask you, uh, you know, Miss Carroll, do you believe that there should be a cap for federal office holders like Feinstein, McConnell, and the like for, for serving? Should should there be a cap?
1: The cap should be the length of time that they serve, not necessarily their age, because everyone doesn't age with cognitive uh, disabilities as others. We've seen the Queen of England. She was 96, serving out her life term of uh, under 13 or 14 U.S. presidents have come and gone. We have Jimmy Carter, and he's ailing now, um, unfortunately. But he was 56 when he served, but he was still in his right faculties. And I think we have to separate the age to the cognitive abilities of the person because I know people that's 90 years old that have a better recall than I do. But what we have to look at is that a lot of these people get into public office and don't like to leave. And they have forgotten that it is a service to the public, is a service to the people, not their own CEO's position.
0: How do you, in your opinion, separate cognitive ability from age?
1: Well, a couple of things with particularly the current president. And we've seen so many missteps, and I, I feel for him because... If you can't remember where you are, you don't know which side of the stage to go off, you're not sure what day it is, you're mumbling your words, there's clearly something not right there. And his staff or his wife or his family ought to see that this job is very tasking. As you saw with President Obama, he was just a little older than Bill Clinton. He was one year older than Bill Clinton when he took office. But by the time he finished up his second term, he already was graying. And, and you, you see that with George Bush and, and Bill Clinton. By the time the four years to the eight years is up, they're really aged. So the, 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 the amount of stress that goes with the job of dealing with the entire world and situ, its situations on a daily basis is not good for someone that is not, doesn't appear to have on the outside appear to have the acumen that can deal with these situations.
0: You know Gary, you're you know you're a non-political person obviously, but you focus on making sure that you know older workers in all fields of industry whether it's public or private industry that they are able to continue to be employed and, and and offering, you know, support and advocacy for them. But in your work, what are you hearing as some of the possible roadblocks for older workers who are trying to get back in the workforce or stay on the job?
2: Sure. And I, I have to say, I agree with the my colleague on the call about the need to separate age from cognitive capacity to actually function in a work. Uh, workplace. So I, I fully agree with my colleague. Uh, we have uh, tremendous obstacles in the US when it comes to workforce inclusion as it relates to older Americans. We see it through the prism of culture, right? We see it through the interest in people who, they can, who younger hiring managers can better relate to which I refer to as the water cooler hires.
3: Mm-hmm. When
2: you bring somebody in who is very much like you mm-hmm. and you you start seeing signs of them hanging out on weekends or going to a happy hour on a Friday, people generally hire people they can relate to generationally. And for older workers, breaking through that cultural um, prejudice that they find as they age is a major, major issue. So that's one. The other for me is really around the different types of jobs that are coming through the pipeline. And there is a misconception that older workers are not technologically savvy. Uh, They do not know how to work within sort of a new remote environment. And that is fundamentally not true. What we found through research is if an older worker remains in the workforce, they are able to keep up with all the technological advancement that's required to function in a workforce. It's when they leave the workforce hmm. that technology moves ahead of them. And therein lies the challenges of getting back in. Mm-hmm. So that's what we see. It's technology, it's the misconception, it's ageism, and the like. Mm-hmm. And uh,
0: Miss Carol, you you said in the very beginning that you were talking about term limits versus versus age, and I I would mm-hmm. say that's it. That's a completely different you know conversation. Certainly, you may have you may have someone who may serve two terms or three terms or ten terms and the like, but if they they could start at an extremely young age and and continue to stay in. And if the voters continue to vote them in, you know, that that's where we are right now. But the, you know, like with retirement age for a lot of jobs, it's, you know, 65, even though we've seen a move to to raise the retirement age in, in the U.S., but specifically as it relates to, you know, elected officials, even Ben Cardin in the state of Maryland, the a long-standing senator, he decided this year that he is not going to run again. He is seventy-nine. He's been in uh, for for several uh, for uh, through several elections. So, is it possible, at least in your mind, that there should be a cutoff at all, or or should or should they just continue to go like a Bernie Sanders, uh, who he's an ever-ready battery, you know, still going.
1: I believe when, you, when it comes to talking about t- length of time, I firmly believe at the congressional level we need a length of time to serve, whether it's eight years or 12 years. Why is because that? Because these people have gotten too comfortable with, with misusing their office, misusing the public dollars, and the mistrust of the public. So, and But the other thing, too, is not only the people that are serving to have term limits, but their staff, because if their staff continue to go from the Senate to the House to the various agencies and then back around to the White House and, and come back into the Senate and the House, those people end up running the show that they're unelected bureaucrats, that we don't know what they're doing, what their agenda is, and who's really pulling the strings. So the term limit will really have to go across the board as well. But the thing about it is that, Retirement age is something I think should stay with the individual. If they have the desire and the cognitivity to, to move forward and still produce and be a benefit, then fine. Stay with it. If they feel that they're too aged and they have had enough and want to spend time with family and spend their retirement years someplace else, that's great, too. One of the things that my colleague on this call talked about was workforce inclusion, and the one thing I don't like is that in the workforce they may uh, appreciate older uh, workers, but they're not giving them, at times, not giving them the compensation that's just due because they're coming with a lot of experience with ethics, with work, work ethics, with um, a corporate knowledge that they can pass on to the younger workers in, in the field. However, the company is seeing that as a negative, that we will have these workers come in, their experience, yes, but you're too old, so I'm going to give you less money. I want you to turn around and train these younger workers that I think is going to have longevity on the job. But these young workers aren't having longevity as the older workers have had throughout the years.
0: Do you agree
2: with that, Jay? I actually do. Um, uh, what we've what we found through our work are the following things. The misconception is that if you hire an older worker, they'll cost you more money, healthcare cost and the like. But research informs us that a younger person, married couple of children, actually costs substantially more to the employer than an older worker. Because you're talking maybe one, two people, not five or six. So there's a misconception about about cost let me go back to, to my colleague's um, comment about the qualities that older workers bring to the workforce. And we see this a lot. Older workers are substantially more loyal, more committed. Um, they have an innate ability to problem solve and to engage their colleagues in a respectful way. Um, they bring a different level of gravitas around problem solving
0: um, institutional knowledge. Uh,
2: I was gonna yes, you know that <laughs> <laughs> Get to the point. Yeah. Yeah. so 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 we, we see we see qualities that, that that are innate and I think can add greatly to an employer's uh, agenda. Younger workers by contrast, and I always tell this story, right. You hire a younger person, twenty-three, twenty-four years old. They are great the first six months. Fantastic. Great ideas. Lots of energy. And then by the second six months, they're offering their, their feedback and their commentary about the organization and management. And they know more than you do. Hmm. And by the twelfth by the thirteenth month, they're spreading among their peers all kinds of of, of, of morale issues because they feel that they have not been listened to. And by the 18th month, they're gone. The older worker is still there. Mm-hmm. So different generations relate differently to the workforce and the experience of work. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think older workers bring enormous value. They will work with you. They'll bring insights and perspectives informed by different work experiences. I mean, you're a journalist. You've You've seen it among the the younger members of your profession, you have insights that your younger contemporaries may lack. So we often overlook the qualities that we see among older workers. And more importantly, the value will increase with time. So let me pivot quickly, if I may. Next year, for the first time in this nation's history, um, older workers will become the single largest segment of the American workforce. Americans mm-hmm. who are 50 and over become a single largest segment of the workforce because the generation below, the Gen Xs, didn't have as many children. And the younger, older workers suffered during the last financial crisis in 2008 where they lost significant wealth, homes, and their retirement and have had to build that back up mm-hmm. and are now forced to remain in the workforce as a necessity. So next year, for the first time in our history, in our recorded history, older America, older Americans will be the largest single segment of the workforce. Mm-hmm. We have to do our best to make sure they succeed. Yeah, two zero two three
0: one nine seven eight one zero, two zero two three one nine seven eight one zero. We are talking about an older workers specifically. You know, should there be a cap on those who are? Serving in public office, how old is too old to serve? Should there be a time when, at a certain age, it's time for them to say, look, it is time to uh, retire or perhaps even get an emeritus status and step down? 202 319 Wade, thanks for calling. What's on your mind?
3: Hey, how you doing?
0: I'm doing just fine. What's on your mind?
3: Uh, I agree with I agree with uh, your panel. Mm-hmm. I think it's a topic, and I do think that they should be like eight years, and then and then when you step down, don't step off. He's the youngest. to you try to keep them encouraged because everything y'all hitting on is is right on point. Okay, right on.
0: Point. Wait, think, think, go ahead.
3: I think that you get to a certain age and you can't physically do the job. Then to look out for your best
0: interest and the people's best interest, it's time to step off. Yeah. Wade, thank you so much. 202-319-7810. 202-319-7810. Eugene, we're gonna talk to you. You're calling from Maryland. Stay with us. We're gonna take a break. The Daily Drum will continue on Sirius XM channel 141. I'm Harold Fisher. The original Quiet Storm is coming up next with Jeff with John Mons. We're going to continue to tackle this story. How old is too old to serve in public office? And are we missing something when it comes to the value of older workers? Stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to The Daily Drum on Sirius XM Channel 141. I'm Harold Fisher. Tonight we're asking, should there be an age limit for federal office holders? My guests are Jennifer, Jennifer Carroll, the Republican former lieutenant governor of Florida as well as Gary Officer, President and CEO of the Center for Workforce Inclusion, inclusion a nonprofit supporting older workers. Lines are open at 202 319 7810. Eugene, calling from Maryland. Thanks for calling, Eugene. What's on your mind? Hello, can
3: you hear me clearly?
0: Yes, I can. Go right ahead. Okay,
3: I'm going to say that age should not be the determining factor. It's productivity. Are you lucid? And know you're healthy enough to continue. If you're producing good work and you still want to work at 80 years old, conti- continue to
0: work. It's all about productivity. Mm-hmm. Eugene, what about uh, federal office holders? Do you believe that there should be a cap or no cap at all? And, and I, I, when I say no cap, I'm not talking about the slang term. I'm talking about... <laughs> <laughs> you know,
3: you, you know it, um, when you're dealing with... Uh, Government officials, it gets very tricky because you really don't want a person in a position where they can just uh, kind of manipulate it. Whether you're a mayor or governor, and it's like eight, nine, ten years you got the same family or the same kind of a uh, mindset in position. So I think it gets kind of tricky there. Maybe a term limit, um, you know, like two terms for the president. You know, two terms for a mayor, two terms for a governor. I, you don't want you don't want you don't want the constituent to feel they're in a no noose situation where they're going to have to deal with the same kind of deal. Year after year. Mm-hmm. So, so, so that I will say. But in terms of age, though, if there are too many quality older folks, 65, 70, 75, 80, that are healthy enough and productive enough to still do it. That's right. Why get rid of, why get rid of an older person just to bring in a younger person who, 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 may, who may like the qualifications to produce a good job?
0: Okay. Uh, Eugene, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Miss Carol, I did want to ask you one of the more troubling Visuals that we have seen, and I wanted to go back to McConnell and, you know, and Feinstein, where, and Mitch McConnell today from uh, the... The Senate physician got a clean bill of health. There's no sign of Parkinson's, no sign of stroke. Uh, obviously, he's still recovering from uh, the effects of uh, of a fall where he, you know, hit his head and some and some other things. But with that said, those those visuals of freezing up over the past uh, two months, or the visuals of of Diane Feinstein uh, looking uh, very very weak uh, in a in a wheelchair, she's no longer walking. She's in, in a wheelchair, and you know, you're you were an elected official. You know how politics works, and and look, I, I I used to work in Tallahassee, so I know from whence you cometh. But the you can't make folks step down. But politics aside, you know how does that work when you see these kinds of of things where you know even. You know behind closed doors you're thinking oh it, it seems like it's about time for these folks to to sit down
1: it, you're absolutely right because it doesn't bode well for the confidence of the public if the pu- even if mitch mcconnell's doctor came out and said no he didn't didn't have any signs of stroke it's still a neurological issue that prevented him from speaking both times or, or froze up both times and that is a health issue as as eugene mentioned if you're not in good health, you need to step aside. Dianne Feinstein being frail and in a wheelchair like Strong Thurmond was frail and in a wheelchair and mm. somebody else, Bob, making his votes for him does not give a vote of confidence that we have the strongest and most apt uh, leaders making the decisions and doing what the people have elected them to do. So therefore, on their own, they should step aside. What is it that's so intoxicating with this power and the money that they've already made in abundance that they can't take it to their grave with them, that for the good and order for showing that the leadership at the highest level and our government sustainability, that these individuals on their own should step aside and let someone else take over in their stead? Additionally, these people that have been in office for 20, 50, 30 years, should have been mentoring someone else, should have been uh, having a pool, whether it's in their own party or uh, not just a family member, but mentoring those interns that come into their office or staffers that, have sh- that show some promise that at one day they'd like to run for office and have these individuals where you are now propping them up to come and take over your position. In, in the United States, our Fortune 500 CEO's, last about 15 years about an average the minimum is about six years seven years so why is it our congressional members have feel that they're the only ones that can stay there and run the show until they die That doesn't show a vote of confidence to the American public that these individuals have the best interests of the people, as well as showing that they are strong leaders, particularly at a time that we we have Ukraine at war, we have our streets at war, we have an economy going down the tubes, we have the issue with China, the issue with the border, and these people need to be on their best game to make the right decisions for our country and its people.
0: You know, Gary, you have a a unique perspective, because as people can tell, you uh you have an accent so you you were not born in southeast dc we know that uh you're from the uk originally but you know your you know your vocation is is here in the us but you you've had an opportunity to to observe how things are how age and ageism is dealt with here compared to the uk uh Is it different? Is it the same? What's what's your perspective on that?
2: So I want to pivot back to my colleagues' comments about the need for leaders to self-select their exit strategy. Mm. And regrettably, power is addictive. And, yeah, intoxicating the whole bit, no question. But power is also a product of privilege. All right. So... Our congressional friends come, uh, have ascended to a level of power and privilege that affords them the option to stay or go. If you look at the regular Joe, 95% of the American workforce, that opportunity doesn't exist. And we saw that during the, the the COVID pandemic in terms of how many older Americans lost their jobs, were not recalled back into the workforce after the CARES Act. They were let go by their employer. Mm-hmm. So we have to recognize that for many people, it's not an option, but it is for those of power and privilege. Now, the UK and Europe is very different than the US, obviously. The most significant factor that's driving... People's choices about whether they exit or remain in the workforce in the US first is whether they have access to healthcare. So, healthcare and a social safety net, lack thereof in the US, is the primary reason why older workers are forced to remain in the workforce. By Europe, by contrast, although the French are starting to challenge their governments on, on the retirement benefits, Europe have a social safety net informed by the government and this, this social compact between citizenry and the state around the fundamental responsibility of government to protect their populace as they age. We don't have that so as i age in europe france britain germany i'm guaranteed healthcare. i'm guaranteed a pretty good pension and i'm also likely to have a a company pension to supplement my state pension we don't have that in the us from 1980 onwards we've seen the the erosion of the traditional company pension the defined benefit replaced by employee contributions and employee-based contributions. And with that, older workers have had to tap into their retirement funds, uh, use it sometimes to pay off debt, pay off health care costs. Um, and because they have these, these, these defined contribution programs, they don't have the option as they used to under the defined plan to retire early from their companies. So our older workers are far more vulnerable than their European counterparts. And you see that in life expectancy. Coming out of the pandemic, American, white American males and females live three to five years less than their European or G6 counterparts. Because they have the protection of the state. They have a pension plan. They have a level of security that allows them to age with dignity, so the choices are very different.
0: Jennifer, calling from Maryland. Thanks for calling. What's on your mind?
4: Yes, uh, I I think we have a real problem. I think some of it deals with culture. Yes. I work for the federal government, and um, I've wanted to to do a job, but they're 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 not mentoring me, and I want to know how do you bring young people in and have them stay because what scares me is I I feel that I've taken care of people for the last uh, 35 plus years but who's going to take care of me I I feel that um, we really have an issue and I want to know what is it that we can do to to get people to want to work I feel that the 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 this country it really has a caste system, and we don't want to we don't talk about it. You know we talk about people who really work hard, and we don't give them credit for the, their their intelligence because we all have intelligence to do what we do best.
3: So let
0: me, Jennifer. What, what's, I'm not sure I'm clear on, of your on your question. What is your
4: question? What is it that we can do to bring younger people into the system to want to stay like like the generation that you're talking about, the generation that I'm in and that you're in? what is it that you can do to bring those people into jobs where they want to work those jobs? Because I don't think that younger people want to work the job that our parents had where you retire. That's not how things are run now anymore where, you know, you work for a okay.
2: company. For- yeah.
0: Yeah, go ahead, Gary, and then uh, Miss Carol. Uh, you can take a shot at it too, but go ahead.
2: Yeah, we find younger workers tend not to be as attracted to traditional occupations in traditional settings as the generations that preceded them there is a there's a statistic out there that said that by 2030 approximately 50 percent of the american worker will be self-employed ceos
0: mm.
2: small co- businesses or otherwise small businesses contractors uh, gig economy you name it they they don't have the same commitment or interest in working in the traditional workforce as we had coming through. So that's a significant shift we've seen as a result of the of the pandemic. And it's only accelerated. We're also seeing the, the change in nature of occupations. So I read a report in, in, in Colorado actually that in the ten in the twenty-two top occupational categories. That was published by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Minorities and older workers were concentrated in the bottom 10 occupational categories. Right, right? You're talking bus drivers. You're talking office support workers. Uh, you're talking about people in the logistics community. And in the top 10 occupational categories, usually technology-driven, healthcare and the like, you saw the shift towards a higher concentration of white, a whiter workforce with very low representation of minorities. So we've seen the disappearance, the vulnerability of older workers in the occupations that are disappearing, mm-hmm. and that's a huge issue for our community. Mm.
0: Uh, and Miss Carroll, to Jennifer's uh, question, uh, you know the I, I would argue that, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, those days are gone. These young young people. Ah, uh, younger workers are who they are because we are where we are in the economy, in the the makeup of you know of the workforce. Uh, am i am I too far afield here?
1: Not necessarily. But Jennifer's point, I think, from what I, I heard her say, <clears throat> is that she has been in the workforce for some time. She finds herself at that knowledgeable corporate knowledge uh, level. And she's had to train these young folks that are not sticking around, Mm -hmm. but she's put in sweat equity. So what's in it for her that her 401k is going to be there, her Social Security is going to be there, health care is going to be there for the time where she chooses to exit out? And that is a real question that should be addressed by our congressional leaders, Mm. because Social Security is not a safety net at all. They have pilfered so much from Social Security. If the older workers have to keep working because the younger workers aren't working that much paying into it, and then we have a system of, you know, divvying out the money for, for various reasons, but the other thing, too, the older workers will get penalized if you wait too long to pull out your money, you get penalized. If you pull out your money too soon, you get penalized. Then they make you go into Medicare Part A or B, and then you have to take out a supplement, and then you have to, to pay additional monies for that supplement. And then you also get penalized if you make more than what your Social Security money is bringing in. So the older worker is is feeling it at all ends, and many of our older workers have sacrificed. They've either sacrificed to pay for their husbands or their wives to go to school and get a better education or sacrifice in saving for their kids to have a better quality of life or pay for school. They've sacrificed because they've been through uh, other wars or or other situations. So that sacrifice has made them have a zeal to work and to do better and stay committed in the workforce. But now Jennifer's question is, like, who's going to take care
2: of me? Hmm. Hmm. I agree. And, and there's definitely a vulnerability tied to aging in our country that we have to acknowledge. And I tell the story all the time of a, of a friend of mine in New York who had worked 22 years for a law firm in Times Square. And she, along with all of her colleagues, were furloughed. During that period of being furloughed, they were told to contact their, their bosses and supervisors to make sure that they are still uh, available to come back. And she kept calling, kept calling after six months before she realized that she was not getting a response from her supervisor. And she was then told she was being let go mm-hmm. after 22 years and given a two-month severance. I was then told that almost all the older workers at that particular law firm suffered the same fate. It was the younger employees who came back. So we hear about things like the great resignation. It wasn't really the great resignation for older workers, it was the great shedding. And many were forced out of the workforce. Many took early retirement where they could, if their companies had the, had the benefit, they took it. But many were forced out of the workforce as a result of the pandemic. And the pandemic for me illuminated all of the, the structural weaknesses of our system as it, as it relates to how we provide opportunities to train, recruit, and hire older workers. And the preference coming back out of the the preference emerging out of the pandemic was to go younger. And
0: that's our reality. Jennifer, thank you so much for your question. I I do want to talk about uh, the impact of diversity and representation uh, and age limits that that intersection. And, you know, Miss Carol, you were the first, uh, you know, Black woman, Republican, uh, elected to uh, as a, as as lieutenant governor in in the state of Florida. So, you know, let's be clear. You know, when you were in office, you stood in very rare air. There's no question about that. But and from that and from that high perch, and and from your your thoughts right now, my age impact diversity and representation in, in the political landscape i mean you know there is this move um or one could argue a battle right now between uh diversity inclusion and and uh, re- representation uh, in 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 the political uh, in the political square but do you believe that ageism may kick out the uh, the possibility of, of racial diversity and representation uh, in the in the political
1: uh, forum I don't believe so but what I would hope again going back to the mentorship because in my time serving in the Florida legislature we had a number of individuals that were old older than I was and they stayed around until term limits took them out, and then sometimes I cycled and came back through, ran for a Senate seat or came back and ran for another House seat. But what I saw a lot of on the black side is that we didn't do enough to mentor our own. We didn't do enough to create a pool of those that could come and take over thereafter.
0: Why do you suppose that is?
1: It could come from a perspective of they... They may not have been in leadership position or to think that this is something natural to do, that this is their seat. I have heard a lot of people say, this is my seat. It's not your seat. It's the people's seat. The people are allowing you and have entrusted you with their vote to represent them. And that that, that individualism that comes with that, this is my seat, this is my district, and instead of looking at... Let me get a young buck, whether it's an attorney or a business person, and show them the way. And that's what I did when I was in office, both as lieutenant governor and a state representative. And I have shepherded and shown uh, here are the pitfalls that you can potentially go through. These are the things that you need to do to position yourself if you so desire. Women, that's another area that um, oftentimes women don't have the time or haven't thought that they can run for office. And so we have to show them that there is a way, because typically women will be taking care of the household, taking care of the kids and getting their professional life in order, and, um, and don't even think about it until critical mass happens. There's something that really elevates to the level of whether it's safety and security in the neighborhood or education, something that raises, rises to the level for them to really get active. And so our young people also feeling, because there was a survey that came out the other day, that over... I think it's 60 or 70 percent of of independents or voters now are saying that it really doesn't matter who you vote for, that it's going to be the same old show, which is kind of bad for our republic because it should matter who you vote for. You should be engaged in the process and you should be working to help uh, those that have the ability and have have the cognitivity, have the the education or have the strength and, and wealth. To, uh, strength to be able to run for office and give them that support to get them in office
0: Gary let me ask you this is it possible to have age limits that are fair and non-discriminatory or are they just mutually exclusive
2: there are laws that protect people in the workforce, force hmm so you cannot discriminate on the basis of age race gender sexual preferences right so that's not that's that's a non-starter I think the real question is, how tolerant are we to how things are? Explain that. So I'm I'm in a space where I, I use the phrase, we have to speak the truth to injustice. And if you look at the, the, the unemployment numbers every month by me- major metropolitan areas, a few things stand out, which I study every month. One is, among African Americans over the age of 50, we are somewhere... Four or five times the unemployment numbers on for the long term unemployed.
0: When you separate that out from just all African Americans, so so
2: for fifty five and over old um, African Americans are about twenty six percent among the long term unemployed. Mm -hmm. Our workforce participation rate is somewhere below thirty nine percent. Right, if you're male, a black male in this country, you are likely to be three times the national average for being unemployed. So who is speaking to that? How are the workforce development resources being used strategically to ensure that people are being trained for the jobs of the future as opposed to the jobs that will be disappearing in the next five years? Targeted investment, strategic use of resources, making sure that communities that have been historically marginalized are receiving the resources needed to get their folks back through into the workforce through job training. That's what we have to speak to. And our political friends, I don't think, are speaking enough to it. Our cities are seeing the consequences of it with the unemployment numbers. And behind that comes all the social challenges that comes with despair and being excluded. Mm -hmm. Miss
0: Carol, I, it, it, if you don't mind, I'm going to put your business out there real quick. Um, you're 64, correct? Correct. Since you've left the the, the state house in in Tallahassee, what pushback have you received because of your age that may have surprised you?
1: Actually, I have received no pushback. I've been getting more support to run for office again, and I push back on my own, saying I'm old too old for this. <laughs> <laughs> you,
0: you, you know, you know this show was recorded, I'm right?
3: <laughs> <shit>.
1: <laughs> I'm on record, by saying. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, but again, it goes on how you feel, and, and I, right now I have two grandchildren, and I spend a lot of time assisting with their care and, and picking up and so forth, and when it comes down to it, I've spent a lot, many years in giving back to the community, whether it's mentorship or in, in the state house and as lieutenant governor and giving my all to public service and my family took a back seat and they allowed me to have the freedom and flexibility to do the work i was doing when i was elected and when i came out of office i saw how much of my time was spent for doing for others and i made that vow that my family will be the ones come first next next to god god first of course but then family is they're not going to be taking a second seat to anyone
0: so you, so you're you're definitely not going to run again for I- anything in in Florida. I mean, at ba- based on this conversation and the some of the names that I threw out in the beginning of this program, uh, you're a spring chicken at sixty four.
3: I guess this is very true. <laughs> I do look it too, <laughs> but, sometimes <I> <laughs> but sometimes I don't feel it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know we, and, and in some cases, you know we have spring chickens and we have some of those late summer chickens. So, uh, and, the, and fall, and fall chickens, yeah, fall chickens and some winter <laughs> chickens as well. I, I only have I only have a few um, minutes left, but in, and I'll start with you, Gary. About sure. this, what are some of the best effective strategies that can, you know, really support? You know, jobs, inclusion for, you know, older workers and and not necessarily I'll I'll let Miss Carroll deal with the politicians and the politics. But, you know, generally speaking, for those older workers who are trying to to jumpstart their own uh, economic opportunity and they're like you said, they're over 50, particularly minorities. What do you tell them?
2: Uh, uh, Well, we we cannot ignore the role of, of politicians in government because they set the framework around which um, opportunities for training can be accessed. So we have to really talk about um, what are the needs of the, the American workforce? How do we make sure that uh, there's an equitable distribution of resources for folks who are on the older end of the spectrum where the need may be more prevalent, particularly as we gear up for 2024 when older Americans will become the largest signal segment of the workforce, we need the media to talk about it as well. Because by talking about it and using these platforms, uh, your listeners, some of whom own businesses, may begin to see the, the issues through a much different lens. We need to give our older workers hope that through persistence and through training, that they do have a role to play in the workforce of the American future. I think that's what we have to to understand and have to start getting people to believe that there's hope, there's resources, and the media should focus more of its attention on this emerging population and their long-term contributions to the economy. My final point is this. The U.S., compared to our global competitors, invests far less as a proportion of our GDP on workforce training, We rank last among the Asian economies. Only Mexico ranks below us among the OECD nations. That's real. Mm-hmm. More investment, more resources, more training.
0: Miss Carol, I'll let you have the last 30 seconds. I guess you're saying no age limits, just term, term limits for the poli- for the politicians. That's,
1: that's the bottom line. But Gary's absolutely right. The media should be paying attention yes. to this and, and having uh, more exposure. But old age is not sexy to the media, so they're not going to focus on it. But I hope our congressional leaders look to not penalize older workers who have been in the workforce and retired And receiving pension and and charging them additional taxes on the income, additional income if they choose to work a second job. That should not be something that our government is doing, particularly for those that have contributed to the fabric of America.
0: Jennifer Carroll, Gary Officer, thank you both for talking to us. I appreciate your time.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Harold.
0: That is the Daily Drum for this Tuesday, September 5th. I'm Harold Fisher. Good night.